Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Kim Biddings. She is the uh, Vice President of Product for BioKey. Kim, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Nick. Happy to be here. So um, before we start off, I think it's always relevant for uh, our listeners to get a little bit of uh, background. Tell us about your background and how you arrived at this point in your career. Sure. Um, so I like to tell the fun fact I was going to be a baking and pastry art major. I am no longer uh, baking cakes. I know. I know. Uh, I still eat them, you know, <laughs> but um, no, fell into this uh, cyber career of mine um, straight out of college and, and started in the identity and access management space. I've since, uh, for over the past decade, worked for all kinds of different cyber firms, um, as well as healthcare identity and access management. Um, and now at BioKey, I'm really responsible for all of the product, product marketing, and marketing functions at the organization. Um, and I work very, very closely with our customers to deploy solutions like multi-factor authentication or other things successfully for them, right? Security, my mantra is security only works when it's adopted and people can use it. Um, and so that's really a key focus for us here is making sure that the flexibility and the solutions work for the people that have to use these secure solutions. Uh, his uh, uh, particular exercise machine hadn't actually had any impact. And I asked him how often he was using it. And he said he wasn't. So similar sort of experience. There you go. Or like, you know, my favorite, actually healthcare related, favorite story ever is they painted the hallways of the hospital and all the clinicians started calling the help desk on Monday because they had written the passwords down next to the computer on the wall. And so, again, it doesn't work if the people don't like using it. So uh, it's really important to make sure it's usable for people as well as secure. So I know we'll cover some of that, but. I I just have to say, we've got to do a show just separately on stories from healthcare, because I think we could go on back and forward, because I've got a few more around those kind of examples. Yeah. And that's a fantastic one. Yeah, The so, NHS, by the way, uh, was the classic one. So maybe I'll, I'll tease you with that. And we'll, we'll hold it for another time. But the I NHS look forward to some additional yeah. exploration of this. So, sure. um, so uh, security, multi-factor, you've talked a little bit about that. Those people, that uh, follow me or see some of my material uh, will know that I've been simjacked uh, relatively mm -hmm. recently. Just uh, for the benefit of the listeners, what's simjacking? Well, that's uh, the process of taking over somebody's phone number, not just the phone, but the actual phone number, and then pointing all text messages, importantly, but also calls to a new number that's no longer under my control. And then they use that to sort of break in. Um, and the text messaging piece, or in fact, even the voice messaging, is 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 a an example of two-factor authentication, um, but unfortunately, it's uh, not great in terms of security. So, if you would share a little bit of the background of the multi-factor authentication that you've had uh, experience with and seen implemented successfully. Sure, sure, and um, you know, Nick, to go along with it, kind of an unknown fact is the. 
uh, NIST, right, is the organization that sets a lot of these standards for security. They actually put out a, a notice that SMS, those codes that you're getting via text, should be banned. And that was in 2016. And a lot of organizations, so you've become a victim to something that was known in the industry to needed to have be banned in 2016. For anybody listening, Nick's uh, not happy with that outcome. But, um, you know, they're sent in clear text is one of the, the main issues with, with that method. But yeah, so looking at multi-factor authentication, um, first of all, it's important just to know the definition. All that it's trying to do is we've gone digital, right? We're all these digital identities when we're signing into something, logging in. And ultimately, all the goal that it is for multi-factor MFA is to prove you are who you say you are. Okay, that's that's been the the goal of it always. We started with passwords. Those um, another fun fact: they're founded in the 1960s, and when the two years of them being created, they were hacked as well. Yet we still use them in 2022. <laughs> um, we now then added in things that you have, right? So there's always categories: things that you know, things that you have. And what happened is the industry really standardized on phone-based methods. People started carrying cell phones. This was a very common thing to have. Before that, you had to carry around little hardware keys, these extra little tokens. Um, and people didn't love that. And it's like, well, why can't I use the cell phone that's attached to my hip, right? And so what happened is the bad guys, the hackers, have just gotten smarter and smarter and smarter, like the person that walked into, I believe it was Verizon, right, and issued the, themselves your phone. Um, and fundamentally, if you take away all the factors and the tech and everything. What I tell people our problem is, is we got away from people being part of the equation. If you look at what people are trusting, right? Security is all based on a sense of trust. And so all we're trusting at this point is devices and tokens and objects. Nothing is actually telling me when I do a transaction with you that, Nick, you're actually the human behind the screen or the human behind the phone. And so there's the actual authentication process that's happening. And then what you experienced is when you enroll to use that factor in the first place, no one checks if you're you. You know, you just say, oh, I have a new phone I want to now use for this purpose. And they add these phones or they SIM swap, SIM jack and, and get that. And again, it just goes back to nothing's identifying the people behind these transactions. Who continue to find new avenues. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite sort of commentaries around this is if you don't think they'll do something, spend a, a day at DEF CON and you'll realize, yes, they will. And they'll find new and innovative ways. They're very, very creative. And I think it's important to understand that. You've got all of this you know, they're a target. In fact, they have the biggest target in terms of data breaches on their back because it's such a rich environment to mine for information to then go and do more bad stuff, not necessarily healthcare related. So they're a big target, but we're struggling with capabilities. How do we approach that? How do we fix this? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, the other thing you have to remember is healthcare is critical infrastructure. And we are in a time where cyber warfare is absolutely a real thing, right? And well beyond the current situation in Eastern Europe, right? That's been going on for decades. Yep. So if you, you know, hackers look for things about monetizing data, like you said, very valuable information, but they also look at disruption, right? That's why they've gone after elections or healthcare or things like that. Um, when it comes to healthcare, 
what I always tell people is it's even more about people than in any other vertical, right? Because if you block a clinician from being able to access a record, you are literally blocking them from maybe knowing what a patient's allergic to when they're having a heart attack, right? Or in a case, there was a recent um, lawsuit actually is about mid last year where a doctor is actually being sued by a mother because they were under ransomware attack. The fetal monitors had crashed, right? Had been ransomed and people were charting on paper. And unfortunately her infant who had just been born was under distress for a very long period of time and unfortunately lost their lives. And that's because that technology was ransomed, right? So again, we've gotten to this world, especially in healthcare, right? Meaningful use was, I believe, 2009 or so timeframe where you can't do paper records. You have to be on a computer. You have to have digital records. But what that did is it made clinicians have so much screen time and not facing the patient, right? So solving this um, really means understanding how people work in a healthcare setting and understanding how they operate and making sure that you're providing the amount of security that they need and that HIPAA requires, right, or any of those others, but that they, it actually has to be usable. Going back to my password example, the reason they write them on the wall is it's just completely ineffective for them to do. So they need very fast access to the information that they need. They need fast access on things across shared workstations, things that aren't their personal laptop, it's not how they operate. Um, and the only way really to do that is not going with phones or carrying around little hardware tokens. A lot of times the, the two primary solutions that I've seen work fairly well are proximity card, something that you tap to get into the building. They tap next to a computer and they're logged in. And then also a biometric. So simply walk up, scan your fingerprint, don't type anything in or remember anything, and you're logged into your patient record. Um, but again, healthcare is really about understanding those workflows how people operate. So, I, I, you know, clearly a tragic case, but I think an important one, um, you know, the lack of access that drives 17, I think it was, was Petcha, no Petcha um, mm -hmm. ransomware that sort of exploded. And ironically, I think in the aftermath, it wasn't really targeted to, to do that, it was targeted. It, this was country shenanigans going on, mm -hmm. um, and you know everybody else got wrapped up into it because they made such effective uh, spreading uh, tools. Right. So, what are the share a little bit of the the consequences? Because I think there's there's even more information in terms of the negative impact of these um, these failures in securing information or importantly, access to information? Yeah, no, great question. And again, in, in healthcare, there's human impact, right? 18. And it essentially tied not the breach itself, but it tied the controls like multi-factor or other security controls they put in place that actually kept clinicians from being able to treat patients effectively and quickly and it raised mortality rate, right? So in that case, oversteering, overcorrecting after a breach caused mortality rate to increase. Um, the other thing you see often is if people, you know, a hospital is, is ransomed, Hollywood Presbyterian, I believe was around 2012. That was one of the, and you know, I love people ask me about ransomware. It's like, you know, this has been going on a very long time. <laughs> they, they didn't just start ransoming people. They've been doing this you know, it's just becoming a business now. Um, but Hollywood Press had to reroute all ER and they had impact there. 
So the consequences in healthcare is extremely damaging. Um, on top of that, you got to remember breaches and and ransom or anything, regardless of the industry, has very very bad reputational and brand damages. And so it's about data theft. You know, it is about fines, HIPAA violations, all of that. But in in hospitals, right? We people are revenue. We make revenue for hospitals. That's essentially by treating us and everything else. They are businesses. They operate as businesses. And so they focus on things like HCAP scores, right? Things in terms of patient satisfaction. And patients, we're getting much more savvy on when our data isn't safe or when an incident's happened, we may not go to the hospital anymore. We may choose, you know, I live in Boston. I have a lot of options if I don't want to go to that one system. Um, so it, it's having a dramatic impact and it impacts us personally as people uh, directly. The impact of um, uh, ransomware and the uh, security attacks that have taken place. I think you, you described this going back considerable uh, number of years. In fact, there are some good proxies for this. We've we've seen studies that look at the impact of redirects of emergency cases in the case of um, marathons that uh, descend. In fact, in, mm -hmm. in your neck of the woods in Boston, um, and you see an impact on morbidity and mortality as a result of the Boston Marathon because people have to be redirected around the uh, course because there's no traffic through there. So there's good data showing that this is a huge issue, plus all of the downstream that you rightly described. So right. how do we go about fixing that without killing our individuals who are struggling with, you know, day to day. And I've sort of cited before the, the busy clinician who's walking in and out of rooms, going through. How do we get to that so that this doesn't become a burden, but still manages to secure uh, the data and access appropriately and keep things working? Right. The way recommendations from CISA is now up to 20 characters, which no one can remember, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, for clinicians specifically, it has to be very, very fast and it has to be secure. And so ultimately speaking, um, like I said, that, that prox badge tap with what we call single sign-on. So they log in once, a very strong login and then what it does is it just allows them to access all the other applications they need. So like their EHR, their radiology system, um, any of those other applications without having to log in multiple times, right? So when you combine authentication, that front door access that's super convenient and gets them in quickly, four or five years was 45 minutes per clinician per shift can be saved if you give them that single sign-on capability, if you let them log in strong and then pass that authentication. Um, in terms of methods, that's kind of what I mentioned, right? So something that they're going to carry, but that is centralized. And what I mean by that is that the identity or the thing that's being authenticated is actually stored centrally in, let's say, a server. All day, not going anywhere else. It's very rare, right? When you walk in a room, there's a cart with a computer on it, et cetera. The challenge with those is, again, it's just identifying a thing. The only thing that you can prove with that is that that badge, that tap, is what logged in. I don't know if for sure it's Dr. Nick. A biometric, if it's something that you physically are, that actually verifies that you are Dr. Nick, that that fingerprint, that facial scan, that voice, that is actually matched to the original enrollment of your biometric entity. So 
there's use cases for all of that. A badge tap may be fine when you're just accessing a simple patient record or you're needing to do something fast. When you're doing um, prescribing of controlled substances, right, EPCS requirements, you probably want something like a biometric. Um, again, if there's some uh, areas like we see in research labs, it's not safe to carry anything. Literally not okay. It, it could get stuck. Uh, I have some customers that have some really interesting manufacturing use cases with explosives, right? I mean, there are unsafe work environments where anything carried is not okay. And so then biometrics are also a, a great offering. So we call them identity bound biometrics. It's because it binds the biometric to you, to the person and the identity, not just like, you know, a touch ID, face ID that's just talking and authenticating on the device. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, these aren't nuclear codes to these are nuclear codes. Right. I, I, yeah. I guess that's my sort of spectrum. And it's a good you, know, spectrum. I don't spend any time. <laughs> um, you know, and healthcare has some of that. I mean, let's be yeah. clear, uh, bio level four to me, nuclear code kind of security mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, all of the issues that you describe. Yeah. But you talked about something and, you know, I, I want to push back a little bit and say, well, if you centralize this, isn't that a perfect target? I'm going to say, ah, well, well, let's just go access that. And and that's what I see on Hollywood. I'm just going to say. Oh, yeah. 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 And we, we get it all the time. Um, so, you know, often these, at least the biometric part, it's not about secrets. And by the way, in this central repository, it's not pictures of fingerprints. That's like the most common question I get is they're going to hack the server and they're going to get my fingerprints and then it's all fallen apart. And the difference of these things is that, for example, you can see my fingerprints when I show you my hands, you can see my face by looking at me. The way these systems work are through very heavy encryption, heavy algorithmic processes. So when you actually enroll, let's say, a fingerprint, what happens is what gets stored in the server is so algorithmically changed and encrypted and stored at rest and blocked that it's not something that someone can open up that server and reverse engineer it and create it finger into a gummy bear. I love that one. And I put my gummy bear on the, you know, sensor. And so what happens with that is it's all about um, liveness detection, right? And there's a whole thing that obviously anybody that's providing these solutions, and this is why, look, the FBI uses us, the Israeli Defense Force uses us. Like, again, this isn't um, technology that's not well tested for integrity, is that we're testing the liveness. We're capturing thousands of data points of all the ridges and grooves and shadows and nuances of who you are. And then by integrity, storing that through encryption. So again, it's, it's people think it's like a password. You, you know, it's a secret. As soon as I tell you, ah, it's breached, right? And it's just not how biometrics work. It's based on, on essentially this integrity process, the algorithm that's in, in play at that point. Yeah, I, I think great points. And you sort of intimated a little bit about that when you talked about the recommendation for passwords now, you know, at the 20 level, because mm -hmm. that's essentially, you know, it's brute force decryption techniques and time value and how quickly you can achieve that. We've seen this sort of, you know, continued exponential Moore's law. And I, I got to say, quantum computing, which I used to be, eh, but, you know, seems to be 
progressing and you know yeah. i hear stories about sort of capturing of data so mm -hmm. as as you think about the future and you know how we deliver this because we all want this and you know i sure as hell do based on my experience i definitely don't want 2016 <laughs> or even worse than that the passwords let's be clear because that's everywhere yeah what, what does the future hold and where are we going these devices and screens are who we are and and so i'm all about bringing people back as a credential we're the only constant. Think about that. We're the only constant in this situation, right? Our phones change, our devices change, our, our laptops change, our scenarios change. You have to get back to the constant security, which is people. The other part I'll say that's a very keen um, push in the market and has been, it's just a little bit more of a more mature approach, but needs to be adopted, is context. So getting away from the actual individual authentication method. So saying, hey, we're only going to let Nick in because his phone's given us a code or a code's been typed in, we'll let you, you in. What we're actually able to do now and is look at context. What time of day is it? Where is he? What device is he on? Um, what's the typing behavior, right? Behavioral biometrics. Um, is this normal patterns that are being shown in just how even the screen was opened or brought up? And so what happens is now we're bringing in literally your surroundings, not just a single factor or even multi-factors to be the only security. So that that's really where I think the industry is going. The problem is passwords are cheap. People have them. So, you know, again, I, I wish me personally, after a decade of saying the same thing, by the way, I said this in 2009 too, I wish we were further along. And I, I think we're going to have to get there because the bad guys are just getting a heck of a lot smarter. So. Yeah, I, and and to be clear, the 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 bad guys in this scenario are using the same technology. They're using AI tools to actually yeah. approach uh, attacks, and you know sometimes I cite that, and people really, you know, they, it's not an individual that sits. No, they have their their tool sets, as as you rightly described. It's a business. So, they're it, focused absolutely. on generating revenue. They're going to put every effort they have to generate revenue. That they're a full business and industry and everybody needs to realize that it's not some hacker in a dark closet anymore this is this is a full uh business and, and revenue machine right and and let's be clear they also have an organizational structure because i've seen a, a an expose i think it was brian krebs showed that that you yeah. know ceo hr functions even in these, yes uh, they so. have marketing to get people pay people to sell their credentials i mean Full business is is how you want to think about it. as much effort as you put into your business every day, they're putting into theirs. I can promise you. <laughs> right, and and I think you know to to summarize, we have to see security as not just a, a requirement, but it's an investment for a whole number of reasons in patient safety. Uh, you know, this is not a cost base; it's an investment in what we do, and there are tools and capabilities, and we can be better at this. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as we do most weeks, um, we've run out of time. Just remains for me to thank you. I'm just going to say you're the, the pastry chef that should have been that I want to spend time with talking about <laughs> hacking and so forth in the future. Kim, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dr. Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at Dr. Nick One on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. 
And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. 